Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth. Because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and live in God's freedom. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Jennifer Slattery, and I'm wondering, how do you typically respond when life takes a major unexpected turn that severely challenges your ability to cope? Who are you more apt to turn to first, yourself in a pick yourself up from your bootstraps and keep going sort of way, or to Christ? Many of us choose self-reliance and quickly formulate all sorts of plans and solutions we hope will rectify our crisis, help us heal from our hurts, and set us firmly upon that path we're so certain will lead to increased life. That might work for a while, but such behavior usually results in discouragement, and increased dysfunction, especially when we turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether that's numbing our emotions with busyness, social media, Netflix, alcohol, or some other addictive behavior. To find peace in the middle of life's most unpredictable storms, we need to rest in the one who remains bigger than our storm, Jesus Christ. And we might recognize this intellectually, but living in that place of surrender dependence, it can feel absolutely terrifying. And I know for our guest today, I I know she went through that when Holy Love's Carol McCracken found herself wrestling with just all sorts of questions, I imagine, all sorts of fears and anxieties when her marriage began to implode. Mm -hmm. And initially she fought the chaos the only way she knew how through self-reliance, but this soon led to self-destructive behaviors. Now you may remember Carol from our previous episode titled Building a Faith That Stands Part Two. Well, today she's back to share more on her personal faith building journey, specifically related to how God met her in her painful, terrifying season, how he shined his light on areas that initially she wanted to keep hidden. Well, Carol, thank you for coming back today. You're so welcome. Glad to be here. So am I understanding correct? Like when God first met you in that really, really hard place, did it feel kind of like, ah, like exposure and vulnerability? Oh, it was horrible. I came up 
trying to always fit in and be self-reliant and goal-oriented and pleasing to the Lord. And I was vulnerable. And I just don't do vulnerable very well. And I was raw. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you give us a little bit of a background? Because So for those of you who, I don't think you shared your story last time. So maybe kind of lead us into, I mean, obviously you didn't go into marriage thinking like, okay, I am going to end up divorced. So I'm, I'm sure that wasn't like, and, and you were a believer at the time, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I found myself in a really strange, what I thought felt hypocritical situation because I don't even believe in divorce. You marry, God meant for it to last, you know, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse. Only I was getting a whole lot of worse. And I just thought, you know, you, you stick with it. My, my husband, he was a good man. I was a good woman. We dated. We thought that we understood each other very well. But eight years after we married, we had a son and love him with all my heart and soul. And for two years, he was absolutely charming. And I got very used to everybody going, oh, he's so pretty. You know, he's such a good little boy. But something happened about the age of two and his behavior dramatically changed. And so he was defiant. It's like a light switch flipped. And we really didn't know how to handle this because, you know, there's no excuse for bad behavior, we thought. But his behavior was getting so bad that he kept getting kicked out of daycares. And it's like, what? Our little angel? No. And it began progressing, progressing, progressing. And we didn't really know what to do with him. Then, probably at the age of 12, I would say, when, when hormones start, if you will, he began exhibiting some very, very scary behaviors. Behaviors we had not seen before, and we knew it. we needed professional help at that point in time to help him. Now, the good news is professional help definitely helped with a combination of counseling and with medication. He began to take some controls of his behavior because he was ADHD. He had Tourette's. He had Asperger's syndrome. And the thing that changed his life the most was something called cyclothymia. That's a mood swing. For no apparent reason whatsoever, your chemicals can just drop out. And when he would do things, my husband would ask him, why did you do that? And he'd say, I don't know. I don't know. And the doctor said, he probably really doesn't know. Now, when you're on pins and needles all the time, you're just trying to survive. And we wanted him to be happy. And he just wasn't. And my husband and I did not agree on how to raise him because, as you can imagine, there is no manual to deal with that sort of thing. You know, you're learning as you go. It's like learning a different language. While we both wanted his happiness, we did not agree on how things should be. And I was kind of raised like, you don't air your dirty laundry. You handle it. You take care of your business. And so I continued to go to Bible study. It'll be key in the story. I'm a Bible study teacher and I'm in the ministry. <laughs> but yet I still felt awful all the time. So I began to have glasses of wine and glasses of wine, and glasses of wine. I come from a family riddled with alcoholism. I'm, I'm sure your anxiety level was off Boom. the charts. Oh, yeah. Yes, that describes it perfectly. It was off the charts. I just didn't want to feel anymore. Anxiety all the time, that will wear you out. And I just wanted the feeling to stop. But alcoholism is a progressive disease. And I needed more, and I needed more, and I needed more. And I, you know, I hate telling the story, 
but there's good news with the story because there's healing when you rely on the right things. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, one day it had gotten to the point where we were expecting company at the house and I decided I needed more wine. Before they came? Yes, before they came out. Yes, cleaning was intense. Let me tell you. (laughs) It, It really is hard to describe, Jennifer, because somebody that is not addicted cannot understand how a completely sane woman could have something rule over her. I've had friends that say, why, why couldn't you just put it down? I don't know. I, I think you brought up a good point. There, there are, you said it was in your family. So yes. You already had kind of a, a, would weakness be the right word or? Oh, or... A- absolutely. But a predisposition for it. Correct. Okay. Yes. So, and yes, it was a weakness because I, I didn't have a turn off switch. I know that sounds weird, but I couldn't turn it off. And so it just, the numbing wasn't solving anything. Intellectually, I knew. I just wanted to stop the pain. But when I did, the problems were still there. Intellectually, I understood that. But I was truly addicted. My judgment was impaired, but I didn't think my judgment was impaired. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I, and it sounds like, I mean, I think it's easy for people to get in that place where everything feels completely out of control. Absolutely. That it's just even to have a rational thought is you, you it's like, it's almost like you're, you're being bombarded in every, it sounded like you're being bombarded in every single direction. And your brain was maybe just like this at peace out. Like <laughs> that's exactly it. It's like, just make it stop. Mm-hmm. The phone would ring and they go, are you Connor McCracken's mother? And I'm like, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that's an awful feeling about your child. But my, my son would chuckle now because he recognizes the dark times that we moved through, but it was constant. I lived on eggshells. Can I pause you here? Because I think that's important for some of our listeners here who maybe are in that place. I don't know if they, you know, whether they're in a, in a rough marriage, maybe they're dealing with children who, who have a mental health challenge or, you know, whatever they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So you just said you and your son are in a good place now. Yes. Yes. So I think for, just for our listener, hold on to that. She's going to finish her story, but. Yes, honestly. And that's the purpose of me telling the story. Is because you can get to the other side, but it can happen to you because it happened to me. And it doesn't seem like you can get to the other side when you're right in the middle of it. But just hold on because y'all, I wanted to give up. I bet. It was just, it was too much. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you didn't really have, didn't, hopefully I'm saying this correctly, but didn't allow yourself to have a support system. That's you got that right. Mm -hmm. Oh, why would I need a support system? I would handle it. (laughs) So I handled it in a very unhealthy manner. And that's what it is. And I'll tell you one thing. I sort of know in the back of my mind that I had a problem. And so I went to my pastor and I said, look, I feel like this is getting out of control. And he, we were, were friends. He cares about me. He thought that he was helping me. And he's like, Carol, I just think this is a really big step. And I'm like, do you think I need to go to AA? And he goes, nah, boom. You know, I'm like, score. It's not as bad as I thought, (laughs) but it was. Mm -hmm. Well, so when did you start to recognize that, that it was becoming? So, I mean, obviously when you're drinking before you have company, I think that would. Yes. (laughs) But, But what were some things that made you realize, okay, this, I am no longer in the driver's seat of this situation.
Well, I denied it for a long time. I'll be real honest with you because I would tell myself, I don't drink every day. I'm fine. But I was a binge drinker. So when Friday came, I'm like, I earned this. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to take care of it. And then I'm like, oh, I probably ought to just hide the bottle. I don't want to upset my husband. So did he know you were drinking? I'm sure he did. You hide that sort of thing, you know, and he did his fair share himself in all honesty. Only I did wine and he did beer. (laughs) So that's how we chose to dysfunctionally cope. But then I began to have headaches. And then every Monday I had a headache before I went into work. So I still functioned and I would lie to myself and go, oh, you had too much, but go on, girl, get your stuff done at work. And because I could, it wasn't really a problem. I was in a lot of denial, but you know, a, a, a drunk person's a very selfish person. You don't know how selfish you are being when you're in the middle of it. Explain. You think you're not bothering anybody else. Mm. You think that you're keeping it to yourself, but yet you have to buy more and you have to hide it. Therefore, you seclude and anything that you have to hide has power over you. Say that again. I think that's important. Anything that you have to hide has power over you. And I think it also creates just because people recognize, you know, we're, we're more on edge. We're probably more irritable. And so it doesn't really lead to peaceful, relaxed, healthy relationships either, I'm, I'm assuming. And so I don't want to, I mean, I, I'm sure that was challenging for your son too. Absolutely. He felt the eggshells because my husband and I were fighting all the time. And we, you know, we definitely disagreed about our son, but escalation when you are altered is a lot quicker and a lot higher. And we just both got to the point. It was hostile. And how can you be in a relationship where you once loved each other? And then all of a sudden it's the sense of betrayal. Oh my goodness. The other person is not on my side, but you're altered. You're not thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. So. And not just from the alcohol, but I mean, I, uh, you know, scientists will tell us when we are in a fearful state mm-hmm. that our emotional centers in our brain are, are charged and our thinking centers are kind of turned off. So you had kind of the two, you had the, the stress turning off your rational thinking, right. I'm assuming. And right. then you had the alcohol that's like, yeah, we're just going to like numb it down even more. That's exactly right. I thought it was helping because, you know, I had things to do. I had to go to work and stuff. And then I had to go to Bible study. You know, I need to study my scripture so I could teach. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that's where some of the some of our listeners are at right now. And, you know, they're which they're going to the very places where they can get help, Mm -hmm. but maybe are going with the mask on and, and the walls up. And so not receiving the full benefit that really is available in the body of Christ. And really for some of us, I do think we have to be careful because not every faith community is a safe place. And so we do need to be alert. And and that's absolutely true. You've got to use it, but you've also got to be, I tell my story because I have recovered, if you will, by the grace of God, I have recovered, but you can't just go anywhere and just start vomiting up all your stuff. You know, people have to get to know you and you've got to be, to your point, in a safe place. Mm-hmm. And when you act, Jennifer, like you've got it all together, that's not doing real ministry. Yeah. That was one of my biggest lessons because after what happened to me happened and I was able to go back and confess it to my Bible study, 
I opened so many. No, it wasn't me. God opened so many doors through my vulnerability because I was no longer the Bible study on the pedestal in the church. Good point. Yeah. And so it really helped. You know, they weren't happy about my dysfunction, but I was finally doing something about yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I probably too, I want to kind of just stay here for a minute too. If, so if you are in a place where like Carol was, that's a place where you do need compassion, not enabling, not excusing right. and justifying, right. but somebody saying, you know what? Wow, this is really hard. I can imagine it'd be very challenging to cope. Yeah, this isn't the best way to cope. I mean, it's kind of right. like how how Paul would always, when he would address people, it was always from this place of like, this isn't who you are. I see better in you. I have hope right. for you. So just for those of you, because it's easy to get locked into a sense of shame. Yes. And that that doesn't help anybody, doesn't help us heal. Mm-mm. And and it doesn't allow other people in as well. So I, I appreciate that you sharing how God used your vulnerability to really help other women or people in your Bible study to feel comfortable to share their things as well. What made it so besides being Bible, you know, Bible study teacher with expectations and that sort of thing. This was back. So I mean, it's been a while, right? So this was well, back. Oh, yeah. July 11th, 2021. Not 2021. That would be only. <laughs> okay. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. It's been longer than you think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, conversations were not quite the same that they are now. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a maturity and you have to go through it. I had a lot of hard work that I had to do. So for the incident that happened, when I went to go get that bottle of wine, I was driving and I realized that I probably should not be driving. So I pulled over and right in my rearview mirror were some police lights. And so luckily I had pulled over. That was the only good thing that I did, but I was right. I should not have been driving and I had to go to the police station. And the irony of it all is that I had a come to Jesus meeting while I was waiting and God's like, okay, we've done it your way. How's that working for you? And I just wept and I wept and I was so ashamed that I was in that situation and God he used my pride. He's a very, very smart God because I'm his church the next day. (laughs) So I was like, I got to do something about it. Now my judgment really is impaired and I didn't know it. So I know that I had a problem. So I called a friend and she picked me up and she took me to a 12 step program. And there began a lot of work where I had a lot of what I, I had attached stigma. And I wept before I went into that building. I wept and I wept. And I'm like, why am I in this place? I don't belong here with these people. Yeah, right. And I went in and I saw so many accomplished people that had the same struggles that I had, though it was not terribly fun. It was enlightening and I didn't feel alone anymore. And these are people that could really understand how caught up you can get into something. So that is the kind of thing that I confessed. And what helped me most was making myself accountable and telling people about it so that God forbid, if somebody did catch me in a situation I shouldn't be in, there would be accountability right there. Mm -hmm. Another thing I had to go to court. And when I went to court, I was so scared and I was so ashamed and I didn't want anybody to see me or look at me, me, Carol McCracken. I had to get a lawyer and I was in front of a judge. I never in a million years imagined being there. That judge looked at me and he said, you've never done this before. 
don't do it again. Goodbye. I almost passed out right there at the mercy that was shown me right there. I got all my money back from the bond, nothing on my record. And I just agreed right there. Okay, God, you gave me a second chance. I will not blow it. And that keeps me humble because I didn't deserve it. But at that moment, God took my craving away. What I tried to do with self-will, I couldn't do. God took it away like that when I surrendered. Wow. No, I do want to say that doesn't always happen. No, it doesn't. And we don't know why God in some instances, he's like, yeah, I'm going to heal in this instant, which that's right. that's a type of healing. And then others, he's like, we're going to walk through this together. It's going to take grit. It's going to take community. It's good. But you also went to AA and, and so, and you got your, you know, you opened up your support system and right. yeah. And I, and I think too, also for, well, I do want to say one thing when you, when you mentioned, you're thinking like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not like those people. Right. And I want to speak to, to all of us who may hear Carol's story and say, okay, well, I don't struggle in that particular way. Right. And really addictive behavior is addictive behavior. So whether when we're uncomfortable and we don't want to deal with our emotions and we don't know how to handle our anxiety and we're binge watching Netflix until three in the morning because we can't sleep or if we're working nonstop because we can't slow down in our, so, I mean, there's a lot of ways that addictive behaviors can show up and and addictive behaviors, they stunt our growth, right? They are emotional maturity. Like we, we don't, we're not, we don't have to deal with emotions. So we don't learn to deal with emotions. They hurt our relationships. They hinder our our relationship with Christ. They for sure hinder our calling because even if we think we have it so well hidden, people can sense, I think when we're not free. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You just know people can't keep it hidden. You know, you think you're hiding it in the middle of it. People know they just do. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways then? Because so you may have taken your craving for alcohol, but you still had I'm I'm assuming your world didn't immediately resolve the Mm -hmm. storm of your world. No, because the, the problems were still there that I had to deal with. We still had a child that was walking on eggshells. What do we do for him? He needed stability. And what did that look like? I quit drinking. My husband did not. 50% of marriages do not survive that. And I was one of them. And so when you say, I'm sorry. So you mean like if, if there were two drinking partners and then one stops drinking and the other continues that part or, okay. Yes, that's exactly right. Thanks Mm -hmm. for the clarification because you know, the other person might not think they have a problem. They continue on in the self-destructive behavior. And that just, that's hard for the relationship. Well, and you can't really relate if somebody's not there half the time. That's exactly whether that's because they're drunk or checking out in some other way that, yeah, that definitely would make relational intimacy impossible. Absolutely. We couldn't really talk that sort of thing. I can remember my husband saying, well, you should have made me go to AA. You can't do that. The person you have to want to surrender. I can't make somebody else surrender. And so there's good news there too. So I'm glad you told everybody to hang on because my problems were still there. And part of it was the marriage. It had grown so dysfunctional that we were not helping our child. And remember, I don't believe in divorce. 
And my 17-year-old son came up to me and said, Mom, when are you going to divorce dad? What do you do with that? There's no winner in that situation, I promise you. And it was just getting ugly, ugly, ugly. And sometimes you just have to separate when it's that ugly. And so for we we did end up getting a divorce. And then the weirdest thing, I'm telling you, only God, Jennifer, only God. We thought if we never saw each other again, we thought we would be happy about that. And then my son had made a decision that I felt his father should know about several years later because my son was not speaking to my husband. Because he was still drinking at that time? Yes, or, absolutely. Uh, which is and, hard for a child, adult oh, abs- child or teen child at any age. Yeah. When you see that's going, he just wanted the pain to stop with all of that kind of stuff. So that was his way. Well, I called my husband and asked him if he wanted to go to dinner and hear about our son. I felt prompted to do it. And I was so nervous. Long story short, because of the common interest of raising a son together, God allowed us to be friends. Wow. And so we never thought that would have happened. Honestly, only God could do something like that. I'm not sure that either one of us still wants to be married again, but we love each other. We shared a child together. And I'll just tell you, this is just funny. This You got to realize this is Alabama, okay? So living by myself, my husband decided that I needed self-defense. I called him my husband, slip of the tongue. My ex-husband decided I needed (laughs) self-defense. And he lives kind of out in a remote area. And he taught me to shoot (laughs) for self-defense. I realize everybody's not into that, but I I don't want to shoot anybody but a target. I'm good. (laughs) He taught me too well. And he cracked up and he said, you know, it's a good thing I didn't teach you this (laughs) in our old days. All of that to say it is ironic, dark humor of we're friends now. Mm -hmm. So we, we have a common interest in our son. We probably see each other once a week, but there's some healing. It's dark humor. It's a funny story to us in the middle of Alabama. People don't condone shooting. I'm not a proponent of that. Target shooting is my deal, but it's a nice little story to show you how you can bond and be friends over a common interest. And I I feel very blessed about that. It's kind of, it's a happy thing for me because I don't like to be at odds with someone, particularly I shared 26 years of my, I grew up on him. Wow. You know, so it's like you can't just throw that. Wow. Away. Yeah, yeah. I do want to kind of hit a pause and, and discuss one thing. So I had a friend when we lived in Southern California who was part of our homeschool community, and she's very attentive to her kids, very godly woman. And none of us knew that her husband had a methamphetamine addiction. Ah, uh, sure. And it made the living environment unhealthy and unsafe for her children. And that was a hard mm a hard, really hard transition for her because not everybody in the community understood. Right. Some people decided to speak into a situation that they really didn't know and that God wasn't calling them to speak into. And I I want to say this for a couple reasons. And so when she and I would talk, I recognize, I don't know your story. I'm not Jesus. And so I would just, you know, that's hard. I'll pray for you. What is Jesus saying? And I, not that I was trying to, but, you know, I knew as long as she thought Jesus that, he would lead her well. Right. But I want to I want to say this for t- two reasons. If you are the person, addiction is is a very messy, emotionally unsafe, psychologically unsafe 
environment when you right. know drug addiction, alcohol addiction. That's right. And so th- there aren't clear cut answers. And so if that if you're in that place, only God knows how to guide you, whether he's going to transform the situation. And but I think sometimes we can and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but we can push so much marriage that we don't recognize when it's not safe. If if you're in that place, seek Christ, get some help around you, you know, get maybe seek a counselor, be but through that seek Christ because there's all sorts of different opinions and different things that you might hear. And so I wanted to say that I personally believe there are times when the marriage is not healthy and not safe. And so I think we do need to acknowledge that. And then I would also say to our listeners who have a friend who is married to an alcoholic, to a drug addict, to a porn addict, you know, something, be really, really careful what words you give. So you can always point them to Jesus. You can love them. You can point them to Jesus. And I just wanted to say, because I think there are some people out there who are in a really hard place that are also very confused and maybe feel alone because maybe like you, Carol, they weren't sharing, but then also maybe because they've tried to share and people haven't, have never lived with an alcoholic or a drug addict or a porn addict. Yes. You are supposed to, you're supposed to hold each other up in a relationship and people will fall down, but sometimes there are toxic situations. And I can tell you at this point in mind, I still do not believe in divorce. And I am divorced. I recognize what that sounds like. I do not mean for it to be hypocritical in any way, but sometimes you just have to make decisions after praying and seeking counsel. Mm -hmm. And you have to do the right thing at the right moment. And I tell you what I did. I just prayed for wisdom and he will give it to you if you ask. Mm -hmm. And then also for those who have said, you know what? I, I didn't have adultery in my marriage. I didn't have addiction in my marriage and we got divorced. There there's grace. There's always, always grace. So just, you know, keep moving forward. Look at, am I being, I mean, the the topic of today, what we're really looking at. And and I think that goes with what you said, Carol, seek his wisdom. He will give it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. We got to follow his timing because he's working in our hearts as he's guiding us. But if we resist our temptation to rely on ourselves, our wisdom, our perspective, our strength, if, if we can resist that and seek Christ, he will lead us towards increased health for us, for sure. We have no control over how somebody else responds. Like you said, you said, Carol. Well, just give us just a brief glimpse of of how your transition, how it's led to increased freedom or hope for you. I'm a flawed human being. I lived in strife for a long time, trying to be the best that I could be. But I define that as the best that Carol thought that she should be. That is not the same definition of what Christ thinks Carol should be. I am a broken human being. We all are. That's the thing. And I am not perfect, but God loves me enough to get my attention and to keep after me when I go off the path. He softened me up a little bit because I have had struggles I can relate more to people that have struggles in that capacity rather than a high, holy Bible study teacher who knows the word, but yet perhaps wasn't living the word. Mm. And there's a big difference there. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's a great place for us to end today for our listeners. I don't know what it is where what area you're really tempted to rely on yourself, but that just distances us from Christ and his grace and dependence and surrender. That brings us closer and that actually increases our strength because he has promised that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen. (laughs) So, Carol, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. You're welcome. I hope it helps somebody out there. Don't be afraid, y'all. Surrender. It's scary, but it's so worth it. And if you want to, so Carol is on our private Facebook group, Faith Over Fear, and she shares little short little video devotions. So I'd encourage you, we will put a link in the show notes and you can connect with Carol that way. So make sure to do that. I think that'll encourage you. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode and make sure to rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling Ikea furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend, Abby, and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.